in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to Radio Row, live from Las Vegas. It is Super Bowl 58, Mile High Sports. I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for tuning in. A terrific, terrific opportunity. If you're a longtime Broncos fan, uh, this man tormented you for a while, but you appreciated it. Back in the old AFC West days when the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos were still there, thrilled to uh, introduce Hall of Famer Steve Largent. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Sean. Yes, or should I say a former representative? Steve yeah, Largent, the yeah. man who has done more than a few things, elected, of course, the U.S. House of Representatives out of Oklahoma, uh, nominated for, uh, ran for governor right, uh, as right. well. So you've actually had a very, very storied uh, career in multiple fields. But obviously, we're here for Super Bowl and, and talking about uh, about that. This year has been so fascinating. We're looking at these two teams that played uh, four years ago in the Super Bowl, but the turnover is immense. Uh-huh. The role of the wide receiver in today's NFL as teams now move with safeties back, try to, to avoid those big plays over the top. Now you start to see a little more room on the underneath routes. When, when you were playing in, in a more wide open style of offense, how constraining would this be? And what would you do to be beating it? Well, I would tell you that, um, number one, that I like the game better today than when I played because they're throwing the ball so much more. Right. And, you know, that's that's that was the heartbeat that I had for the NFL was catching the ball and running with it. Uh, so I really like the game that they play today. And uh, I, I find that the receivers are uh, really good. I mean, not just the number one receiver, but their number two receiver, number three receiver. They're, they're going to be all really good athletes and really good receivers in catching the ball, uh, you know, 95% of the time. So uh, I, I really like the way they play the game today. Uh we played a different kind of game uh, where defensive backs, Mike Harden, uh, would try to take my head off if he could, and he tried to, uh, <laughs> and I think he did. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the rules of the game have changed, and I think they've changed for the better. Uh, so I, I don't think anybody wants to hurt anybody no. uh, or get hurt. And so some of the rule changes they've made are really good ones. And uh, they're slowly being implemented uh, or referees are figuring out how to make calls uh, on those rules. But uh, I think for the most part, it's for the best. And they're trying to highlight the athleticism, trying to make sure that, that, that those big moments can occur. And you're right. It's a more open yeah. game. We're looking at this contrast between these two teams. And I'm, I'm curious about that because the, the 49ers with a less experienced quarterback in, in Brock Purdy, although right. he played very, very well, has two outstanding wide receivers, especially in Debo Samuel, a versatile guy, and, and Brandon Ayuk. On the other side, of course, Patrick Mahomes, already at the age of 28, has as many playoff wins as John Elway, Yeah, has a, a core of wide receivers that, because of the salary cap limitations, has continually been thinned out a little bit. They have an interesting uh, uh, rookie in Rice. But Mahomes has kind of had to do a little bit of the lifting there. Of course, he has Kelsey at tight end. Right. But the contrast between the idea of one team loading at wide receivers with an inexperienced quarterback or one team with an experienced quarterback with wide receivers that are less so, what what would you tend to favor there? Would you rather be the team with the more experienced wideouts and more experienced quarterback? 
Well, that's a, that's a good question. I think I'd rather have the more experienced quarterback. Uh, and that's why I would say, if you ask me who's going to win the game, I think the, the edge, you have to go to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes because uh, he's got more experience in big games. Uh, he has more, he got, he's got all the experience in big games because the other side doesn't have any experience in big games. And I think that means a lot. Uh, but, uh, I, I think, I think, um, it's Kansas city's game to lose. Uh, but, uh, I, I think it could be a close game. The, the creativity we're seeing, uh, you know, Mahomes' career has gone that way. Also, I think we saw a couple of weeks ago with the, the, the bills game with Josh Allen and, and Mahomes. It kind of felt like these guys were reinventing the position to a certain extent, almost in, in real time. Uh, the, the kind of creativity that a Mahomes shows when he, when he plays playing with that as a wide receiver, at one point it sounds like a luxury, but it also sounds like it would be a challenge too, because you have to be ready for things that are completely off schedule. Yeah. Well, that, that and that, that's the whole key to at least Kansas city's offense is coming up with new plays and new ways to beat you. And uh, they, they've been successful in doing that. They've had trouble dropping the ball yeah. uh, middle of the season. Lining up wrong yeah. has been a problem as right. well. Yeah, And, and you're just kind of like guys not thinking about what they're doing. Uh, but for this game, there won't be any of that. Uh, you know, you're going to be focused. Uh, you've got two weeks to prepare for the game. And uh, I, I think it I think it'll be a, a, an excellent game uh, all the way around. But uh, I think it's going to be, you know, it, it'll be inside seven point game. Well, we're talking to uh, NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Famer Steve Largent, of course, a uh, longtime Seattle Seahawk. And uh, you're working with a terrific organization, the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund, which right. helps a lot of former players, uh, medical needs, also uh, mental health needs right. after playing. Because uh, obviously, players that played prior to the roughly 1993 collective bargaining agreement, things were very, very different. And Gridiron yeah. Greats can help with that. That's exactly right. And uh, Gridiron Greats was a, uh, a, a brainchild of Mike Ditka, and uh, Mike's really done a great thing. What he saw was that players weren't getting treated and were really hurting, and that's the truth. I mean, players that played in the 70s and the 60s uh, really need help, and uh, so the Gridiron Grace does that. It uh, uh, you know looks at people's situation, lines up and see if, 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 if they can uh, legitimately give money to them and help them on their way, uh, and, and I think that's a great thing. And, and the pork rind industry has is, is come in and stepped in and, and really helped uh, that, that particular charity that Mike started. Yeah, and, and helping with that, of course, sitting with you right now is Mark Singleton, the vice president of Southern Recipe, or as he introduced himself to you, the pork rind guy, right. uh, which is not a, that's not a bad title. Because, you know, what, go, what goes better with uh, pigskin than pigskins? It's the biggest American holiday is Super Bowl Sunday. So what better snack to have? I mean, I don't want to see any pretzels out there on pigskin day. Uh, this is the biggest pigskin day of the year. Well, 50th anniversary of what they call Pork Rind Appreciation Day. You can go to porkrindappreciationday.com. And by the way, uh, if, you, if you do that, you'll have a chance to also win $5,000, some some autographed memorabilia, a lot of really cool things as well. And you also be helping the, the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund. So a lot of that goes to, to, to players who really can use all that assistance as well post-career. So really right. valuable stuff. So uh, – Mark, thank you for joining us. Obviously, you're you're doing a, a a lot of work this week. This is a fascinating experience, I'm sure. Oh, uh, once again, 15 years of doing this. The money we've raised, and the and the cool thing, and Steve knows some of these stories, is the people we felt, the people that we've changed their life. We, not we, but Coach right. and Karen have managed to help people, and, and and we're a family-owned company. We've been around since 1955, 
and we're just so proud to be affiliated with the Grand Greats and great guys like Steve. Yes, new sweet barbecue flavor, by the way. I got a little preview of that. <laughs> uh, pretty darn good. So make sure you check them out. Pork Rind Appreciation Day. And, of King course, Super. Southern Recipe yeah. in Colorado, right? In King, in King Super. So you can get it right there in Denver as well. Uh, really a treat to talk to both of you guys. Obviously, uh, Mark, thank you so much for, for the work you're doing with the charity as well. Steve, thank you for the charity. I, you know, there are times when you sit here at Radio Row and I get to interview a lot of people wearing these. Sometimes you feel inadequate, but then you get to meet someone who's actually running, you know, working in running a company, building a charity, a guy that's already a Hall of Fame in football, been a U.S. House of Representatives, and I realized, wow, I may have a lot of things to do to catch up. <laughs> so uh, thank you for helping me with a small amount of the anxiety there. Sure, that won't fuel the rest of my day. I appreciate talking to both of you. All right, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Hall of Famer Steve Large and Mark Singleton from Southern Recipe. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with more live from Radio Row at Mile High Sports. And, of course, uh, from one Hall of Famer to another, it's official now. Randy Gratishar has been elected to uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And later on in this hour, Sean sits down with the great Randy Gratishar. Now, finally, after all these years, properly recognized uh, for his accomplishments, which uh, only begin to include having been a seven-time Pro Bowler, all-Pro six times, 1978 Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL, the Broncos' all-time leader in career tackles with more than 2,000, one of 10 linebackers in NFL history with seven Pro Bowl selections, 20 interceptions, and 13 fumble recoveries. It's about time, finally, in 2024. Randy Gratishar will be going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He will be accompanied the 2024 class of Hall of Famers by Dwight Freeney, Andre Johnson, Patrick Willis, Steve McMichael, who in many ways, is, though he played a different position, during his glory years with the 46th defense, the great Chicago Bears defensive group from the 1980s, Steve McMichael was kind of the Randy Gratishar of the Chicago Bears. He was overshadowed. He was overlooked by perhaps players who had a more dynamic style. Steve McMichael was an inside player. Uh, he wasn't Richard Dent, uh, who, of course, uh, deservedly made the Pro Football Hall of Fame years ago. So uh, glad to see people like that. Uh, Steve McMichael and Randy Gratishar going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Devin Hester, whom Bronco fans probably remember. I know Mike Shanahan does from a very particular game in Chicago once upon a time at uh, uh, the tail end of Mike Shanahan's coaching regime here in Denver. Devin Hester did what very few people were able to do in one game. He returned a kickoff for a touchdown, and he returned a punt for a touchdown. Julius Peppers also uh, set to go as part of the class of 24 into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The enshrinement ceremony will be August 3rd in Canton, Ohio, and Gratishar will be, and we talked about this earlier, actually the 16th Bronco to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and the 14th who played multiple seasons 
with the franchise, more than one year with the franchise, and he joins uh, Steve Atwater, Champ Bailey, and John Elway, and Peyton Manning, uh, the centerpiece, the heart and the soul of Orange Crush. Tommy Jackson was the inspirational figure among that great linebacking core that also included Bob Swenson and Joe Rizzo, and I guess for uh, a time, uh, Jim Ryan, who was uh, a part of the team during that period. But there was not a better quartet of linebackers who, as Michael Malone, the coach of the Nuggets, pointed out earlier in this program and reacting to the Nuggets win last night, those linebackers played not just with one another, they played for one another. What a tremendous group they were. Uh, The two outside linebackers, Bob Swenson, who was, I believe, as underrated a player as the Broncos have ever had. And at the other outside position, of course, there was Tom Jackson. And on the inside, Joe Rizzo and the signal caller, the extension of the great Joe Collier on the field, the very plain expression of Joe Collier's defensive design, Randy Gratishard. Remember, Joe Collier coordinated some tremendous defensive teams during his time in Buffalo during the AFL days of the 1960s and was the Broncos, in effect, defensive coordinator slash co-head coach for their final years in the AFL and here in Denver throughout the 1970s and all the way up to 1988 through the 1988 season. What a group that was. Randy Gratishar had a 10-year playing career, and that may have hurt him with Hall of Fame voters down through the years. And it also hurt that one man in particular was campaigning very, very hard against Randy Gratishar for many, many years. And I've always said this about the Baseball Hall of Fame. There are too many voters And about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, there are too few voters. And when you have too few voters, you have horse trading that goes on, deals that are made. I'll vote for your guy if you vote for mine. And one of the things that Paul Zimmerman used to do, both for good and for perhaps almost certainly not so good, was that he would get up and make long speeches during the annual meeting of the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. And he'd make long, passionate speeches. And those speeches carried weight because there wasn't anybody back then really to get up and say, you're wrong about Randy Gratishar. You're dead wrong about Randy Gratishar. For all your charts and all your expertise on offensive line play and supposed appreciation for those who are less glamorized. You are dead wrong, totally wrong about Randy Gratishar. You're right about Rich Tombstone Jackson, but you're wrong, as wrong as you can be about Randy Gratishar. Some thoughts on the game on Sunday. You heard Sean earlier picking the Kansas City Chiefs, and I came across a column by a very well-respected writer in our business, Tim Kawakami of The Athletic. He used to work uh, out in San Francisco. Um, 
on a local newspaper and has done everything. He's been a beat writer. He's been a columnist down through the years. And yes, he is from the Bay Area and he writes on a regular basis about the Bay Area teams, particularly the Golden State Warriors and the San Francisco 49ers. And the fact that he's picking the 49ers, not terribly surprising, okay? Uh, And listen, just because you're a Bay Area writer, broadcaster, and you're picking the 49ers doesn't mean you're a homer. But the reason he gave, or reasons he gave for picking the 49ers, I found compelling. And there are many of the same things I've thought about this week. And yes, uh, perhaps I'm wrong, Kawakami's wrong, in going back to the Super Bowl of four years ago. But even if you don't believe in drawing lessons from a game that was played four years ago, this is one of the rare rematches in Super Bowl history. You got to believe in new stars, in star power. And one thing you have to say about the San Francisco 49ers is that they do have star power. And four years ago, when these two teams met, the Kansas City Chiefs at Patrick Mahomes and the San Francisco 49ers at that time of Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback, Two coaches were the same, but the quarterbacks, the matchup was a little bit different because Garoppolo was starting at that time for the 49ers. The game was played in South Florida, and for roughly 53 minutes, it appeared that the 49ers would get the better of the Kansas City Chiefs, who were playing in their first Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and Andy Reid as head coach. It was 20 to 10 with a little more than seven minutes to go at Super Bowl 54. And the 49ers had everything going, appeared to have all that they needed in containing Patrick Mahomes defensively and running the ball offensively, even with people who don't compare with Christian McCaffrey, the lead running back and perhaps the best running back in all of the National Football League. They didn't have enough in the way of running backs, and they didn't have enough at quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, for three quarters, at least statistically, outplayed Patrick Mahomes. But in the fourth quarter... When it was crunch time and the Chiefs began to come back, Jimmy Garoppolo finished the game after the 49ers had run it in building their lead 20 times for 119 yards and thrown it 22 times for 201 yards. But Jimmy Garoppolo once the Chiefs began their comeback, completed only two out of nine passes for the rest of the game. And we all remember one of the seven incompletions, right? It was a deep throw to a wide-open Emmanuel Sanders for a certain touchdown that most likely, not definitely, but most likely would have won the 49ers the game. Garoppolo missed 
a wide-open Emmanuel Sanders. Patrick Mahomes didn't miss coming down the stretch. And the 49ers, once Kansas City began to come back at them, the 49ers got off schedule, off script, as it were. And they didn't have another way to counteract the Chiefs in the final seven minutes of that game. They've got the NFL's Offensive Player of the Year now in McCaffrey. He can carry it 20 to 25 games. It's the last game of the year. They also have a veteran now, not a rookie, but a veteran in Debo Samuel. He was a rookie four years ago. So Kyle Shanahan can attack the Chiefs both on the ground and through the air. And that additional star power, Trent Williams at left tackle was not there, was not playing for the 49ers in that game four years ago. He's there now. The 49ers probably aren't quite as good defensively, especially without DeForest Buckner, the outstanding defensive lineman who was a big part of the 49er defense a few years ago. They don't have anybody like that, even Eric Armstead. At defensive tackle, is not as good a player as DeForest Buckner was, at least back in 2019. But I think the star power, the presence of Purdy, a quarterback Shanahan actually trusts, as opposed to Garoppolo, and having Christian McCaffrey, who I think very well might emerge as the most valuable player of Super Bowl 58, will be enough. San Francisco 27, Kansas City 24. And the Shanahan legacy continues to develop with Kyle becoming the first son ever to win a Super Bowl that his father had also won. In fact, in Mike's case, not once, but twice. When we come back, what is going on with the Colorado Avalanche? Went into the All-Star break red hot, playing as well as any team in the league. Coming out of the All-Star break on an Eastern road trip, Losing to the Rangers in overtime Monday night. Losing 5-3 Tuesday night in Newark against the Devils. And last night in Charlotte, the Carolina Hurricanes whipped the Avs 5-2. Where is the power play that was scoring at 35% in the 22 games leading up to the All-Star break and is 0-12 since... We'll hear what Kale McCarr has to say about the Avalanche power play, which has been powerless on this road trip so far. That's next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar will be going back to Sean on Radio Row for his visit with Randy Gratishar, the newly minted and officially now elected Pro Football Hall of Famer. It's great to see for number 53, as the 16th Bronco to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that conversation uh, 
very much one that we look forward to hearing uh, here in about 15 minutes. But in the meantime, yes, cold as ice, that would uh, describe the surface on which the Avalanche power play operates, but it was a power play that over the 22 games that led up to the All-Star break for the Avalanche, they were converting on the power play at a rate of 35%. Now, clearly that's not sustainable, but 22 games, that's more than a quarter of a season. So you would think that at least some of that would carry over. I know there was a 10-day layoff for the All-Star break. But wouldn't you think, out of 12 power play chances during the first three games of this Eastern road trip, at Madison Square Garden in Newark, New Jersey, last night in Charlotte against the Carolina Hurricanes, that the Avalanche out of 12 chances on the power play that includes the likes of Rantman, McKinnon, McCarr. They'd have one power play goal, maybe. At least. You would think. There's zero for 12. And last night, listen, it was a crazy game. We talked about it at the end of the program. The natural hat trick was scored by a Carolina player, I must confess, I have never, ever heard of. And as was written in the Denver Post today, the biggest problem since the break is now officially the power play for the Colorado Avalanche. They went 0 for 6 last night. 0 for 6. That was the story of the game. I know they lost 5-2. But it was 3-2 at the end of one period. And if you caught it, all of the Avalanche scoring for the night came within a period of five seconds. With 27 seconds to go in the first period and 22 seconds to go in the first period. The first goal, his first goal as an Avalanche, was scored by Zach Parise. One of the assists went to Shamo Girard. They stayed on the ice for the next faceoff. The Avalanche won the faceoff, went back to Girard. He took several strides over the red line and let go with a shot from outside the Carolina blue line. Somehow it went in. And in five seconds, the Avalanche had gone from being down three goals to down by just one, three to two at the end of the first period. They did not score again, and it was not for a lack of opportunity on the power play. Alexander Georgiev was god-awful in the first period. The first goal was as bad as that Gerard goal was at the end of the first period from a goaltending point of view. Second goal wasn't great either. Third goal, probably hard to fault him. Fourth goal, really didn't have any chance. But actually, during the last two periods, Georgiev played pretty well. The Avalanche couldn't score. In the wide, wide world of sports, Kale McCarr, what's going on with the Avalanche power play or not going on? From the first time we started out, we just didn't really kind of gain possession in zone. And um, I don't know if we just got away from our tendencies and tried to force a few things, but... Um, some of the looks were there. We just didn't we didn't make them, and 
Um, it just felt like we weren't really working as a unit tonight. Kind of everybody was spread out, and especially with a team like them who pressure really hard, you kind of it's got to be a full man, full team support. So um, it's just a, I think that's a big learning one for us. We haven't played a PK like that in a while in terms of just very aggressive. So. Um, having that on this road trip, I think, is a, is a good a good thing for us. We just have to make sure we learn from it because, obviously, our execution was just not there tonight in the power play. He's right about all of that. I will say this, though. When you're bumbling and stumbling around on the power play, as the Avalanche have been lately, every PK is going to be aggressive against you. If you're whipping it around, you're not misfiring, you're moving, and that's all five skaters moving so that the defense on the penalty kill can't just stay in a box and not have to move. And if you don't have to move killing penalties, you're not getting tired. You can kill two minutes. You have four guys out there for two minutes if they're just standing there in a box formation and being left unimpeded to block shots Otherwise, defend against the power play. When they don't have to move, they don't get tired. Back to the Michael Malone quote again from an hour ago that we heard. After the game last night that the Nuggets won in Los Angeles against the Lakers. We win because we play for one another, not merely with one another. The Avalanche on the power play are playing with one another but not for one another at the moment. And this includes the likes of Lekkonen, Druen, Ratnan, McKinnon, McCarr, occasionally Byram and Taves as the point men on the second power play unit. Byram was terrible again last night, minus two in 17 minutes, 18 seconds of play. But you know what? Kale McCarr wasn't very good last night. Minus two and 25-56. Nathan McKinnon. Yes, came close to scoring, but for a second straight game was not on the score sheet. 24 minutes, eight seconds. Minus one. Now that's regression to the mean. As scathing hot as he's been for months now. Almost three and a half months. There hasn't been a greater player in the world or a hotter player in the world than Nathan McKinnon. So he's due a couple of games off the score sheet. Ranton minus two in 27 minutes, two seconds. The ice time should tell you something. These are tired players. These are tired players. And maybe that's why they're not moving as well on the power play because that's where those additional minutes your center iceman, other than McKinnon last night, played 12.58, Ross Colton, 14.27, Ryan Johansson, and 8.37, Frederick Olofsson. That's not enough. On to more pleasant news on the college basketball front where CU last night, although it wasn't their sharpest game, got past Arizona State fairly routinely, 82-70, to up in Boulder. They play tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on national TV, on ESPN, in Boulder against the University of Arizona. 
which as of right now, according to Joe Lenardi of ESPN.com and his bracketology column, which comes out twice a week, Arizona projects as a number one seed. Now, last night, going into the game, Colorado had one win all year against a quad one opponent. That opponent was Washington. Washington lost last night. Washington may or may not be a quad one opponent at this point. So it's possible that if last night's loss knocked Washington out of quad one, that CU, which, yes, did beat Miami, and then Miami went into a tailspin, perhaps provoked by CU, but nonetheless, Miami isn't a quad one team. Washington may no longer be a quad one team. But they're going against their projected number one seed tomorrow night. They have to beat them in a game that may represent their last best chance for a quad one win during the 23-24 season. Now, CU had four or five starters in double figures last night. Williams to Silva, Hadley, who was terrific. K.J. Simpson, they all played well. They all played well. Lampkin played well. He had eight points, five rebounds, one assist, three steals in 29 minutes. The transfer portal recruit, as it were, from the Big 12. And although Luke O'Brien couldn't play last night due to injury, Julian Hammond III from Cherry Creek came off the bench and scored nine points for CU. So one through six, CU was very, very good last night. Much too good for Arizona State. Whether they get O'Brien back tomorrow night or not, they have to beat Arizona to get into the tournament. The Lenardi bracketology column came out today. There are only three teams that he has making the tournament from the Pac-12. Ten from the Big 12. Nine from the SEC. Six from the Big Ten. Five from the Mountain West. Five, including Colorado State. That's back to being a six seed now. And in this particular column, CSU is projected as a six seed to play an 11th seed, Nebraska. Not CU Nebraska, CSU Nebraska. In the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament, they would be situated in the Midwest, according to this projection. They would be playing out of Pittsburgh in the first round as a six seed against 11th seeded Nebraska. Among the last four in to the tournament, Mississippi State, Washington State from the Pac-12, Seton Hall, and Cincinnati. Among the first four out, CU hasn't budged. The win last night didn't really help them on these projections, or this particular projection anyway. First four out, St. John's, Wake Forest, CU, and Nevada. CU will go from being, if they beat Arizona tomorrow night, from one of the first four out to perhaps one of the last four that get buys. Teams 61, 62, 63, and 64. They'll definitely at least make the list of last four in. They'll push somebody out. 
maybe Cincinnati, maybe Seton Hall, maybe Washington State, maybe Mississippi State, depending on how those games go over the weekend. Tomorrow night is as important a regular season game as CU has played maybe ever. And it will be a packed house up in Boulder at the event center for that one. And I will be in attendance looking forward to watching. And uh, we will see what happens. And we'll react to all of that on Monday. When we come back, the great Randy Gratishar joins Sean Drotar on Radio Row in Las Vegas, having last night been officially elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame after all of these years. Sean Drotar and Randy Gratishar are up next. This is Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to Super Bowl 58 Radio Row in Las Vegas. The man sitting across from me needs no introduction to Denver Broncos fans and now needs fewer introductions to anyone across the country. Randy Gratishar, congratulations on your induction into the Hall of Fame. It's obviously a monumental day and an important for you for the first time ever today. You woke up as a pro football Hall of Famer. How did that feel? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I uh, it's, it's just a great honor to be now knowing that I'm going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And of course, I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm about 40 miles away from Canton. So I knew the Hall of Fame stuff was back there. I'm an original Buckeye and I went to Ohio State and uh, all that Ohio stuff. And now I'm going back to actually Canton, Ohio and through the NFL, Denver Broncos. I never dreamed about uh High school football, I never dreamed about going to college. I never dreamed about going to Denver Broncos or NFL. And uh, so this has really always just been a – it's still a, a, a real blessing for me to be able to be sitting here and talking to you. I, I had a chance to talk to you briefly out at Dove Valley on the day that the seniors committee uh -huh. elevated you to the, the status for the final ballot. The process between then and now, has it been nerve-wracking or was there a bit of a weight lifted off because you knew that it was basically done? Well, uh, I didn't know until uh, the Broncos, Bronco media called and said, uh, Greg and Carrie Penner want to talk to you about the Orange Crush because I said, well, okay, that's okay. Cause, uh, and then a guy named Steve Atwater was going to be there and they wanted this information about the Orange Crush because they didn't know what made you guys so good. I said, well, uh, can your, your wife, my name is uh, Beth, came along, and we went over the next day and uh, sat with uh, Greg and Carrie Penner, the owners, and uh, they, I, tried, I explained to them why the uh, Orange Crest defense was pretty good and it's so good. And then all of a sudden he, st he stood up and said, we're going to go to this other room. I said, well, okay. And so we, my wife and I, Beth, uh, followed him and Carrie. And then all of a sudden we walk into this room and there's about 30 or 25, 30 people, media people um, standing there filming cameras, microphones. And I hugged my wife and said, Bevy, we're 
finally in. <laughs> so it was a real exciting time, that experience. And then also I looked to my right and I saw this guy named Tom Jackson and uh, Billy Thompson, who were part of the Orange Crush. And the Broncos scheduled him, the, the, those two guys, to come in to help celebrate this. And uh, so that, that experience, and then finally, after just a couple years, uh, knowing that uh, I'm going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Canton, Ohio, uh, has just been a real blessing. I still haven't digested all that. You know, it's actually going to really happen, but this is helping being out this, at the Super Bowl and being recognized. Randy Gratishar sitting with me. I'm Sean Drotar from Mile High Sports. And uh, obviously, none of us ever get to wherever we are alone. And, and there are people that, that you want to thank. There are partners that you want to thank. Uh, what have you been thankful for along this process? Well, uh, to getting to this point, uh, uh, I certainly... I always know that this that would possibly happen through the Lord and the Lord's timing, but also knowing that uh, the credit uh, goes to the John Ralston who drafted me and drafted that whole Bronco de- Orange Crush defense. And then a guy, our, my defensive coordinator, Joe Collier, created at that time the 34 defense. Everybody else was playing 43. I never played 43 at Ohio State. I also played two inside linebackers. So uh, we didn't call it the 34 defense, but Joe created that. And uh, I was very familiar with it. I learned it quick. And all of our defensive guys, that orange crush defense, and it's all about a team. It's not about Randy. It's, you know, I'm one of uh, 11 guys. And, uh, you know, and then, so that's where the, the, the credit goes for, you know, having the opportunity to work through the 34 defense and then all of a sudden, uh, and during that time for the probably first four or five, six years, they didn't, the offenses didn't know how to react to us. And because we were, we were coming from here inside, outside, different stunts that we were doing. And then, uh, uh, and I don't know if they ever find, you know, figured that out either. But, uh, and somebody told me while I was here, you know, that, that Harry Carson and that Lawrence Taylor, they played that 34 defense. Well, I, I want to tell everybody that I take credit for that. Yes. And the that, Denver Broncos do because we created it and they just happen to be on the East Coast giant guys and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, it's, 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 it's been a real blessing to be here and knowing that I'm going in and having the experience and now uh, really looking forward to going to the Super Bowl for sure. And of course, the, the whole point that you brought up with the folks on the East Coast, that's part of the reason for the delay of all this, that the Broncos recognition, especially with the 34 defense, the orange crush, there are seeds of that in the Super Bowl. We look at the way Steve Spagnuolo calls his defense, a, a base 3-4 as much as anybody does, bringing not necessarily extra blitzers, but bringing guys from different angles, different stunts, different right. timing, dropping guys back at different times. This is still part of the DNA of the defense that you spearheaded. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand a little bit, you know, watching their defenses today at Denver Broncos and other teams when I watch on TV. And uh, it's, a, it's a little bit different, but it's still similar. You know, uh, guys coming from different angles, our defensive line guys doing different things, the linebackers and so uh, and now they're even blitzing safeties more often and cornerbacks once in a while. And so uh, as, as we know, generally, our, our world keeps changing in lots of different ways. And certainly uh, 
pro football has changed also. Yeah, but football still remains football, and greatness remains greatness. Randy Gretishar, Hall of Famer in the upcoming 2024 class. Uh, obviously, you've had partners that have gotten you there, too. I recognize Phil Long on your shirt. I know they've been a, a big part of this journey for you. Well, uh, yeah, I've been with the Phil Long dealership group last 26 right. years, and the owner, Jay Chimino, uh hired me. And then all of a sudden he had an idea. I said, Randy, when are you going to get in the Hall of Fame? I said, I don't know. So 20, 25 years later, I'm here. And it's because of Jay Chimino. And he brought along a few committee guys for 20 some years trying to get me into the Hall of Fame because I never thought about it. I never wanted it. I, I never I didn't hire an agent to help me get in. And uh, so Jay Chimino through the Phil Long dealerships uh, has just been great. And uh, now finally, and he's he's been doing that for 20, uh, 26 years. And uh, I'm just very appreciative of that. And now realizing physically being here at the Super Bowl and being recognized that uh, it finally happened. So I, my, my credit goes to Jay Chimino. It's, it's long overdue. It's funny on a, on a personal note, I was born and raised in Denver and, and grew up watching the Denver Broncos. I, one of my earliest sports memories is watching some of that. Orange Crush defense. You're, you're not old. You're, you're too, too young to remember. With too much detail. <laughs> but I do remember literally being bounced on my father's knee, pointing pointing at players <laughs> and pointing out a 53 and saying, that's what you're supposed to do on a football field. So it really is a, a, a treat to talk to you. And, and as you pointed out with being a team, obviously it's been a little bit, it's been a wait. That's been frustrating. And the defense itself, maybe not recognized as much. You, you brought up Tom Jackson. Uh, you know about, we know about Louis Wright. We know about so many of the great players that also played alongside you on that defense. This feels like maybe this is a little bit for them as well, that, that you're bringing not only yourself, but you're bringing that team. With yeah, you. well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking and praying that uh, this is an opportunity now. Uh, yeah, I'm one of, a, uh, one of 10 guys of that whole defense, and all of a sudden I'm going in for the first time. And I think, I hope this brings more recognition recognition to some of the other guys on the team that they'll even be considered for the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, uh, uh, you know, it's an honor for me to be this first guy here, and uh, I hope that it helps expand the Orange Crush defense and we got named. I got to ask you a personal question. Did you ever get an Orange Crush can with Randy Gratishar's picture? I did, and I believe <laughs> Bob Swenson. Oh, I'm not mistaken. Well, he was outside. Him and Tom Jackson right. were outside, guys. I kept telling Tom Jackson, I said, you you, you can never play inside because you got to be smart. I mean, all the stuff that we got to learn inside and you guys on the outside just rush every once in a while or find one receiver and try to cover them. So they don't like to hear that, but that's, <laughs> that's the way it was. And you know what? And you get the victory lap today. So I know you have a really busy day. Thanks for making time for, for folks in Broncos country to talk about this. Uh, my co-host back in Denver is Sandy Clough. He wants to pass along his sincere congratulations, of Thank course, you. after all the years as okay. well. We know you have a very busy day. Enjoy your victory lap. It is well-deserved, and enjoy your Super Bowl weekend. Hall of Famer Randy Gratishar. Been very a long time overdue, but very nice to be able to say that. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me us. on. Thank you so Thank much. You. Well, there's nothing more to add to that. Uh, that will be our final word of the week on uh, uh, this Super Bowl 58 set of programs. We've uh, enjoyed the coverage, listening back here, 
trust that you have as well. Super Sunday is less than 48 hours away, and Sean and I will be back here in studio on Monday afternoon at 4 to talk all about it. Our thanks to our great executive producer, Danny Bailey, and uh, to all of our guests, not only today, but during the course of the week out in Las Vegas and uh, here closer to home. We'll see you on Monday afternoon. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games. There'll be a lot of them with the uh, finale being Super Bowl 58 between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. See you Monday afternoon right back here on Mile High Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. I saw the fire in your eyes. 